Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Well, if you turn in your Bibles with me this morning to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, we're going to come into the Word of God. I'm going to be reading from the NIV today. It says this, first one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. I want to ask you today, is your faith precious to you? Verse 2, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election for if you do these things you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord speak to us today we pray in Jesus name. I want to talk to you today. The title of this message is Fit for Purpose. Fit for Purpose. Uh, Last week we looked at the story in Matthew chapter 14 of a great guy in the Bible. I love him, Peter, because of his failures and his faith as well. And we looked at the whole story of, in Matthew chapter 14, uh, when, when he steps out of the boat onto this water that's these perilous waters and takes this amazing step of faith and, and walks towards Jesus but actually defies the laws of physics. He, he changes what would normally happen with the science that we expect today. And, and Peter does this amazing thing. He's just seen the feeding of the 5,000 but now he sees another amazing miracle. And, and so here we, we read today in Second Peter and you can read First Peter as well. Here we read the books that the same person who walked on the water wrote. Now, 
I find something very interesting because I've, I, I've been around and I've had people preach here many times. And most of the time if someone comes and you get a guest speaker, they bring their books with them. And they get up and they, the first thing they'll do is talk about their books for about 10 minutes. And then they'll say, you can grab these at the end. And majority of the time, the books are written on the basis of the thing that's been most profound in their life. The things that have touched their life. Uh, you look around today, you watch some of the latest DVDs of people's testimonies, stories. I, I died and went to heaven and saw this. And you see a book come out and you know it. The very thing that's most important to them is the thing that they want to write about to encourage you. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I found something very interesting because I expect that when Peter gets an opportunity to get a slot in the Bible, that we would might find a book that says, because if it was me, you know, if I was at the choice to write a book, and I was going to get it in the Bible, it would be the day I walked on water. It would be the day I, f- I helped Jesus feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves. The day I saw some miraculous events, miracle moments, but we don't see anything about it. And Peter instead talks about other things. The interesting thing about Peter is that in Matthew 26... Later on, after Matthew chapter 14, he denies Jesus. And then in John chapter 21, we see the reinstatement of him. His restoration. We all love that. The fact that such a failure who once follows Jesus is now reinstated back to a place where now he's going to move on to preach the gospel. We love that journey. And so what Peter does is he writes these things to us. Years later, after Christ's death. And and I'm expecting he's going to say, this is what you need to do in your life. You need to know the power of God so that you can do things like walk on water. You can do all of these amazing exploits that I saw Jesus do myself. But he doesn't. He tells us other things. And I'll tell you why. It's because Peter discovered that it's more important to know Jesus than to know the power, miraculous powers that perform things like walking on water. I want to tell you today that the, the answer to your life is not, can I do something like Peter did and walk on the water? Can I see an amazing miracle where someone steps out of a wheelchair? Your focus on life is not about miracles. Now, I love miracles, so I can say this, because I want to see God use me. But my focus, my, my purpose has not got to be fixed on these things. My focus needs to be fixed on Jesus and knowing who he is. Knowing the very person he is and not the power that he carries. You know, we, I, I take my children to the theme park and, and, and when I go there, they've always got, the kids always ask me, they say, Dad, am I going to be able to go on these rides? And they get the map and the map tells you the different rides that you can go on determined by your height. 
And so little Lewis was always like, I can't go on these, Jacob's like, I can go on these. And we get there and they stand and they do their hair spiky so they can get, you know, a little bit taller. You can see them trying with all their might to try and prove that they're a little bit taller. And sometimes they miss the experience because they're not tall enough. They're not big enough. And I, I just sense today there are people that have had some great moves of God in their life in this room. They've seen God do things. They've seen transformation like we just heard. They've seen God do things. But they've gone into a season where you feel like the things that you saw before you're not seeing anymore. And you've gone through failure seasons. And you feel inadequate. You feel like you no longer reach the mark. You feel like you're not fit for the purpose. You're not fit to do the work of the Lord. I mean, it's interesting that Peter goes from doing these great exploits to denying Christ to them being reinstated. How many of you know today that Jesus is not looking for your perfection? He's not looking for you to reach this mark, to impress him, to, to spike your hair as it were. I'm still hanging on to mine. My dad hasn't got any, so I'm just hoping mine sticks around for a bit longer. But some of us are trying to push ourselves to impress him, to say, God, I feel, I feel limited, but I'm going to show you I can do this. Listen to me. Your future, your destiny, your purpose is not built on you trying to prove yourself. It's built on what God said over your life. You are fit for his purpose. Whether you feel like it or not. Hallelujah. You know, if you know me, I like to save money and I like to, I'm great at going back. If you ever need something taken back to a shop, ask me. I love to do it. And when I left my employment five years ago to lead the church, they gave me this beautiful leather bag from John Lewis. Now I've heard that John Lewis say that the customer's always right. When you hear that, you know, I, well, I'm going to go down. I took this bag down there. It was the buckle broke on it. It's five years old. He had a one-year warranty, I think. I had the receipt still. This is just recently. I went into John Lewis, five-year-old leather bag. I went up to the till. I said, this bag, it's not fit for purpose. <laughs> she said, have you got the receipt, sir? I said, yeah, give her the receipt. She said, it's a year old. He's... He's five years old. I said, I know. But I expect this to last longer than five years. It's John Lewis. Customer's always right, yeah? It's five years. Good quality leather. Very good quality leather. Five years old. And it's not fit for its purpose. The buckle's broke. She said, well, we can pay probably 20 pounds to... You cash to just get the buckle fixed. She wanted to get rid of me. You cannot get rid of me easy. I said, I don't want a buckle. I want a new bag. She said, I'm sorry. <laughs> that would be impossible. How many of you know nothing is impossible for God? Even when John Lewis is coming at you. I said to them, I said, where's your manager? Come on. Dun, dun, dun. I said, yeah, where's the manager? She gets the manager. The manager comes out. He's all ready to, to fend me off. I said, I'm sorry, but I just want to explain. I got this bag for a gift. Five years old. I got the receipt. 
He said, but it's not fit for purpose. He said, I'm sorry, sir. Our policy, we cannot do this. You need to, we, we can give you the new buckle. And so I said to him, I said, can you come with me a minute? And so I took him. And I walked down to the bags. All these beautiful brand new leather bags. And my bag, exactly the same one, was on the shelf still five years later. Same one. And I looked at it and it was gleaming. I thought, I want one of those new ones. <laughs> now he'd, he must have spent 10, 15 minutes with me telling me that it's impossible because of the policy. And so I walked up and I said, look at that bag. It's the same as this one. He says, yeah, I can see. I goes, but come on. You know it makes sense. <laughs> I said, come on. I said, it should last longer than five years. How many of you know that persistence works? He looked at me and he said, do you know what? I'm going to let you have that bag. I said, where are you? He said, yeah. And so I got the bag down and then he gets it down and he looks inside and there's a section inside my bag that's not included in the new version. I thought, I'll have that. I said, can I have my old thing that's inside the old bag inside the new one as well? He said, just take what you want. I walked out of there with a brand new leather bag, five years on. Praise God. My persistence broke his policy. But I want to tell you something today. There's some of you who are like that leather bag. You, there are things in your life that have come a little bit broken and loose and things that are not working so well. Things that are not doing so good. And so in reality, even in your sin in your life, things have started to creep in which present an opportunity for the enemy to say that you're not fit for purpose. And what he does is he persists to try and tell you and try and give a reflection upon the Lord that you're no longer good to serve the Lord. Because you are not fit. You're not at the standard. But I'm so glad today... That Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the one who was slain for my sin, the one who took the punishment for me. I'm so glad that he never backed down to the enemy. That his policy doesn't break. That he, when he's under the pressure, when the Satan comes against him and says, that person's not good enough. He doesn't break. He doesn't change his policy. He stands to his policy that you are a child of the living God. Jesus is bigger and greater than John Lewis however good they are because they break under the pressure they break their policy under the pressure because something's not fit for its purpose you might not look like you're fit for purpose but let me tell you Jesus still believes in you if you don't believe in yourself he does hallelujah praise God I'm glad that I have a saviour who defends my case. Literally. He gave me a new one. But he defends your case in life. I said it recently. He's your great intercessor. And some of us listen to the accuser far too often. Hallelujah. You see, Peter's discipleship, his discipleship, when he pens these words to us, and I'm going to come to him 
in just a moment. When he pens these words to encourage you about the life of faith and what it is. It's not about walking on water. He's not trying to, to tell you, I want to tell you now in First Peter and Second Peter how to become a better water walker. No. I want you to learn what it is to know the person of Jesus rather than his power. That's his main thing. The threat through these scriptures are the knowledge of him. The knowledge of him. So you in your ambition for Christ and and the younger generations these days are are getting hold of, they see miracles, they watch YouTube, they see healings, they see all these great, great things. And I love it. But the, the fact is, is you can become so distracted by that that you lose the joy of knowing Jesus. And I'm here to tell you today of a person who likes watching this kind of stuff, who likes to be encouraged and see miracles, that I've come to learn in my walk and my faith that I'm far more interested in whether I can walk on water. I'm far more interested in knowing him. Knowing the one who calls Peter out. Hallelujah. You see, in John chapter 21, Peter's learnt some things. He's seen miracles. He's seen, he's walked on water by John chapter 21. John chapter 21, he's a bit discouraged because he's in a boat fishing, going back to his old purpose. He's now doing his old stuff and he's gone through the failure. He's gone through the denial. He's now feeling pretty poor. But Jesus, as we know, thank God, comes and finds him on a beach, cooks a bit of fish and calls him back in. Now, if you, similar kind of thing, he says the disciples didn't recognize who was shouting, but Peter recognized and says it's the Lord. And so if I'm Peter right now in John chapter 21 and I've gone through all this stuff, I know what I want to do. I'd want to say, come on, let's walk on water again. You know, call me Lord and I'll walk. But it says this time he jumps into the water. You see, Peter now is not so bothered about walking on water. He's going to get wet because he's more interested in a conversation than a demonstration. If you read on, you'll find that what Peter does is sits with him. Then he asks him the question, do you love me more than these? Because the whole point of that story is this. Actually, Peter, I'm getting you to understand now. It's all about me. It's all about your relationship with me. And you got it, Peter, because now you're prepared to jump in the water, get wet like a normal person and not worry about the miracles. In fact, you left a whole catch of fish to get here. And so what I want to explain to you today is this, that, that, that it's more interested, it's more important, sorry, for you to pursue him as a person than just his power, the hand of his power. I put here that the maturity of our faith is determined by the priority in our faith. Did you get that? So what, when Peter's trying to explain to you here, he's saying, I want you to develop in maturity now. Because I'm not talking about the miracle stuff that I saw. I'm going to help you. You see, in First Peter, he's talking to suffering Christians. He's talking to persecuted people. You go out to some of the persecuted nations, and when I'm going to Pakistan, I believe it's in the top five persecuted nations. You know, they may be interested in hearing about walking on water, but they need to hear about what it means to stand firm in the face of adversity. 
the maturity of our faith is determined by our priority in our faith. What is your priority? Matthew chapter 6, 21, Jesus says, For your, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. In other words, where is the treasure in your faith today? What is it? Is it on YouTube? Is it on the testimonies that you get when you pray for the sick? Or is it in knowing Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? Because I've got to tell you, your pursuit determines your priority. Your pursuit determines your priority in life and in your faith. Ephesians 1 verse 17, Paul prays this for the Ephesians. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what? So that you may know him better. Not, Paul, I'm going to tell you about all the amazing things I've seen right now. I'm going to pray that you get to do what I do. No, I want to pray that above everything, I want to pray and I keep praying it, it says. I keep asking, so it's a repeated prayer. It's a persistent prayer because it's important to Paul that these people know Jesus better. That's got to tell you something today. Peter wants to tell us it. Knowledge of Christ. And so does Paul. So what does Peter want us to know? Number one, that we have been given... God's grace for our race. God's grace for our race. Second Peter 1 verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. New King James Version says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Wow. That is amazing because I want to tell you today that if you position your life in the right place with God, what he will do is download and he will send you and deliver you grace and peace abundantly multiplied over, running over. If you feel today like you're no good, let me tell you the only reason I'm standing here today, the only reason you're here today is because of the grace of God. God. You see, I can't stand here preaching to you because I can just do it. I'm doing it by the grace of God. It's His grace. Some of us sometimes forget what His grace is. His grace sustains you. It keeps you. It says that you don't deserve it, but I'm going to let you keep doing what you do. Even if you fail this week, even if you let me down, I want you to know my grace is sufficient for you. He says my grace is sufficient. His grace comes multiplied in abundance. Oh, but I feel rubbish, Phil. I got baptized the other week and it's been a tough time. I'm just not sure about my faith anymore. Do you know what? I wasn't sure last week. I'm never sure. I'm never sure all I put my assurances in the one who saved me. Because if I put my assurance in myself, I'm failing. 
But Jesus is the one. It's his righteousness that's credited to you. It's not your account. It's his account. And when God the Father looks at you, he says, my son, you're a child of God. My daughter, you're a child of God. You've received my son's details of your life. It's his account. It's his righteousness. Hallelujah. So the next time the devil tells you something and he interrupts your walk and says to you, ah, but look what you did. Listen to me. You've got to know today it's the grace of God that you live by. Now that doesn't give you a license to sin. But it tells us, it changes us to want to live right. That's what it should do. You see, I heard the other day, you know, God is not looking For sinless people. He's looking for people who sin less. Some of us, we're thinking we've got to reach the perfection. Then I'll be fit for purpose. Then I'll be able to do what the Lord's called me to do. Listen to me. Don't come to church every week telling yourself that I'm not too good yet. When I reach this standard, then I'm going to be able to walk into the promises of God for my life. Listen to me. However you feel right now, whether it's pain in your body, whether there's things against you right now, whatever the devil's trying to tell you, listen to me. God will use you while there is breath in your lungs. He will use you. He used Paul with a thorn in his flesh. He will use you. You are fit for his purpose. Oh, but I'm running this race and I'm pressing on, but you don't understand. Yeah, I do. It's hard. I went for a run the other day. I normally run on a running machine. I went for a run outside. It killed me nearly. I hadn't done it for a long time. And And I turned on this app that I haven't used for many years, this Map My Run, that tells you what you're doing. And so I put my music on and I went for a run. And the music's great while the music's on until every five minutes, I didn't realize it was going to do this, I wondered who it was. This voice came on, this woman, this American voice, interrupted my music and gave me the stats for how I'm doing. Every five minutes. All of a sudden I thought I'd just press the button and I got a call coming in from some American woman. She said, you've been running for this long, fat, you know. Every five minutes. Reminding me the stats that I have achieved. And you see what happens is in your life is the Lord has mapped out a race for you to run. He's mapped out a purpose for you to run. But the thing is this, the devil will come with his voice and interrupt your pace. He'll interrupt your pace. And what he'll do is he'll give you the stats. He'll give you the stats of your position. He'll give you the stats of how good you've done it. He'll tell you and remind you that the last time you run down this road, you did it a little bit better last time. You better do better this time. So then you start to compare yourself. Then you start to say, well, actually, I'm not so glorious as last year. Because my, 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 I didn't even get a personal record on this place. And so what happens is the enemy comes to try and interrupt your pace in life. That's why we've got to keep in step with the Spirit. He'll try and interrupt it and the voice of the enemy will try and bring the stats. But Galatians 5 verse 7, Paul says, you are running a good race. Who? Not what. Who cut in on you? To keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I don't know who's cutting in 
on your race, on your run. I don't know what voices you've got cutting in on you to tell you that you're nothing. To tell you and remind you that actually you're not doing as well as you did last year. So actually you're no good for the kingdom of God anymore. Listen, you've got to turn that thing off. You've got to shut that thing down. You've got to delete that thing out of your life. And you've got to tell God, no matter how I feel, I'm always fit for your purpose. Hallelujah. See, Peter, in Acts chapter 9, he gets an opportunity where he walks in to see Tabitha who's dead. Dead situation. Walks into a room full of people that are crying. Now he's got to do something. He's got a situation in front of him where he's got to raise a dead woman to life. And so what does he do? The first thing he says he does is he tells everyone to leave the room. Get some space. He tells them to leave. And then the next thing he does is he kneels on the floor and he prays. Then he turns to Tabitha. I want to tell you something today. Some of you in your life, what you're trying to do is this. You can sense and feel the things of the past like Peter would have. Because when he was in that room, there's no doubt, I reckon, that when everyone was shut out of the room, he removed them all to get his focus to what he was about to do. But you tell me whether Peter at that moment was thinking in his mind, but look, all those things you did in the past, all those sins you committed, all those things you've been doing, Peter, do you think you have the power and ability and the purpose to do this? Do you think that now you've shut everyone out of the room? Okay, it's you now. You think you have the ability to do this? You're just a frail person. You denied Jesus three times. You did this wrong. You did that. And all these voices start to ring in his mind. I don't know what they were, but if he's a human being and he's like me, then he'll feel the same things as I feel. Because when I get into moments when God's got to use me, that's when the enemy reminds me of all the things I've done wrong. So sometimes what we do is we shut everyone else out of the room and sometimes the reason why we're not seeing breakthrough and we're not walking in the purposes of God, I'll tell you why, it's because you change the room, you remove things out of your life, you do everything bar kneel and pray. So what you do is you remove the people but then you try to do it in your own strength. But what he did is he realized it's not about the people. It's not about me. When I've shifted everyone out, when I've changed the room, now I need to change myself. And I need to get on my knees. Then I will pray. Then I'll realize it's his grace that works through me to allow me to turn to Tabitha and see a raise from the dead. Some of you right now, you're in situations where it's like that room. You've got a dead thing around you. You've got a situation. You've got a problem. You've got an illness. You've got things in that room. And right now, you've tried to do everything you can in your own strength. You remove the people. You do certain things. You create the space. But listen to me. Right now, it's the time to get back on your knees. Again. Again. We can change our space. But never turn our face to him. Never turn our face. We can be good at removing the distractions in our life. But fail to turn our attention to God. And sometimes it's our pride that stops us from getting back on our knees again. 
Because we try to do it all in our own strength. 1 Peter 5 verse 5. It says this. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Quoting from Proverbs. In other words, he's going to give grace to the ones who positions themselves to receive it. Oh, but I'm a sinful person. I can't do the things that God wants me to do. I'm not fit for what he wants me to do. Let me tell you, you can. Some of us right now, what we're doing is we're holding on to our rubbish. We're holding on to our rubbish. We're trying to deal with our own trash ourselves. You're trying to deal with your own sins yourself. You come every week and sometimes people think, I don't need to go to the front. I don't need to respond. I'm just dealing with this thing. It's between me and God. Sometimes you need to stand up and realize that we've got to start coming before the Lord and kneeling and saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Repentant hearts. Not coming and saying, I'm just going to go in for an experience at church and hope for that makes me feel better. Do you know what walking down to the front does? It doesn't tell me, oh, look, I know you've got a problem. It tells me you're a real person. These last few weeks, I've got a a, a serious problem at the moment of forgetting that the bin man's coming. And several times, you'll find me when he appears. Boy, have I got that bed as quick as anything. And I'm running down the road. (laughs) No one else, everyone else has remembered except me. It's terrible. And the other week, I looked out the window, the bin man had gone a little bit too far. I thought, That is a real walk of shame. I mean, there's one house distance, but not six. I mean, walking down, looking like I look right now. And the kids are shouting to me, Dad, what are you doing? Don't worry, it's the bin. (laughs) They've never seen me go out of the house so fast. And one week I realized that he'd gone a little bit too far. It was a bit too much distance for me. I could not bring myself, because I thought if I walk down the road... With my bin, I'll get so far and then he'll start to move again. And then I'm going to have to keep walking and following him. And it's not going to be six hours. It's probably going to be 12 because they're probably going to notice me coming and think, let's speed up and make him walk. I don't know about you, but if you've ever met a bin person and you, you go up to them and you, you hand it to them because you forgot to put it out. It's almost like a little smirk they give you. <laughs> yeah, you forgot, didn't you? But I realized something. One week I didn't. And I walked back into my house with my rubbish. Because I could have chased them. But I didn't. Why? Because I was too ashamed to walk down the road too far with my bin. And some of you right now, what's happening in your life is, the reason why you can't move on is because you're not ready to release the trash. You're not ready to say, God, I've got stuff in my life that I'm trying to keep. And do you know what ends up, you, you end up doing? If you don't see the bin man and you don't release your rubbish, do you know what you have to do? You have to keep stamping on it every week. You have to pressurize it down. You have to push it into the bin so you can fit more in. And then it doesn't fall out of the bin so easily. It becomes hardened in the bin. It gets crushed down. And that's when you get a hardened heart towards God because it's harder to shift it. Amen. What's the lesson in that? Don't forget the bin man. But don't forget to bring these things before Jesus so that he can clean your heart. Number two is we have been given God's empowerment get this for our sustainment now listen i want peter to say to me second peter 1 verse 3 that he 
has given us this divine power of everything we need to walk on water and do miracles. But no. He says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Peter didn't say, I've been given the divine power to walk on water. I've been given this ability to do this. What he said is you need the power to get through life. I've learned something in the last few years, and that is that I've experienced the power of God in my life that's greater than any miracle I've ever seen. Any healing, the sustaining power of Almighty God. You don't realize sometimes you've got it going through you. Some of us are thinking, because we're not getting things nice in our lives happening, that the battery power's dead. The power from heaven's gone. I need a charger. I need to come to church and feel good because my Christian walk at the moment don't feel so good. I need some good feeling again. So I need to get charged up. It's like my kids. Dad, where's the charger? That's all I ever hear. Where's the charger? We need to buy about 10 chargers to keep everyone happy. And if you give them a charger, then they're hooked next to the, the, you know, like a meter away and still playing on the games while they're charged. Some of us, what we want is constant experience of things to make us feel nice. So you come to church every week. Plug me in. Listen, the power of God is not about a plug-in experience to keep you happy. The power of God is the ability to help you to walk through storms, to walk through difficulties, to walk through challenges where you don't understand sometimes what's happening inside of you. But there's an invisible force, there's an invisible power that's giving you the sustainment to carry on. It's the divine power that gives you everything you need. Hallelujah. How many times do people, I want to know the will of God. I want this in my life. I want that. He says here, you have everything. Everything you need. You go and hashtag that this afternoon. I have everything I need. His power is enough. Whatever's happening around you. But some of us, you know, we we don't know Jesus. We just know his power. We just know what he's doing in his hand. And we just operate in these healings. And we see God touch lives. But we never know who he is. I've put here that the Jesus you show is only ever a reflection of the Jesus you know. That's as good as it gets. And in Matthew chapter 7, 22 to 23, it describes, Jesus says this, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Oh, didn't we walk on water? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that, Lord? Come on, you saw me on the streets. You saw me pray for that person and come out of a wheelchair. You saw me pray and see your power. Then, I will tell them, Plainly, he's not going to mess around. Listen, Jesus is not so meek and mild. He will tell them plainly. I never knew you. No, no, no. But you, can you remember that time? No, no, no. I never knew you. 
Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, that's Jesus? Yeah. Listen to me. It's so important that we seek his face, not his hand. Seek who he is. You'll see the power of God in your life. Because that's a byproduct. It always is. Do you know something? In Exodus chapter 3, Moses gets the call at the burning bush. He's called into conversation with God. He's called into relationship with him before he does the task. An amazing task. He's called to draw near. And he hears this voice. And he joins in with communion as he begins this journey. And Exodus chapter 3 is all about what you're going to do. And what? Me? Not me. I can't do this. Yeah, you're going to do it. Then Exodus chapter 4, he says, what if the people don't believe me? Okay then. Oh, you, you want some power now? Okay. Now we've got over our conversation. Now we've agreed in Exodus chapter 3, all about it's all about relationship. You've got to stick with me because I'm going to be with you. Okay, the secondary byproduct is if people don't believe you, then I'll give you. See that staff, that thing in your hand? That is going to have power. Throw it down. You see, what you see there is this, that it starts with a conversation, not a demonstration. Your future to be fit for God's purpose does not start with demonstration. It starts with conversation. Seek the Lord while he might be found. Seek his face. Seek the conversation with him. Seek the intimacy with the Lord. Seek this, these things then all the other things you're going to find will be added in the right order. He doesn't get the staff first and say, come here Moses, I want to tell you that staff in your hand is going to give you power to be able to do all the things I'm going to call in your life to do. You've got to rely on that staff. That staff is going to be your answer. No, because the staff wasn't the answer. The answer was God. The answer was relationship. If you get it in the right way around, it works. Seek a conversation with him, not a demonstration. I put here that Christianity is not about how much power God puts in your hand, but the power in your heart to stand for him. Hebrews 11, in that great hall of faith, it says, By faith he, that's Moses, left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered, and I absolutely love this. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Wow. Did you get that? Hang on, that doesn't compute. That doesn't compute with my science or my logic. He saw him who is invisible. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because when you have a relationship with God, when you have a relationship with Jesus, people are going to look at you like you're a freak sometimes. They're going to think, are you crazy to think you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ? He's dead. No, he's not. He's alive. And oh, well, you can't see him. I know I can't see him because I know that I know that he's in my heart. And listen to me, it's this that will get you through. The invisible character. The fact that you can't see him, but you know him. Oh. Wow. He saw him who is invisible. Wow. Don't worry, I'm coming to a finish soon. I'm going to try and hurry up. Deuteronomy 31. Moses hands over to Joshua. 
120 years. 40 years going around the wilderness. Do you know something? You ask Moses, you ask him, what is it that you learned in 40 years? It's not the miracles that got me through. It's not the time when I saw the rock with the water coming out. It's not even the Red Sea. It's not when I raised my staff and I saw the most amazing things in front of Pharaoh. None of these things would have been the thing that he would say. I'll tell you what it is. It's the fact you can get through 40 years with God in a desert. So some of you right now are looking back on your life and you're saying, wow, I remember that time, that moment when God did this. Let me tell you, by the grace of God, the fact that you're here today, the fact that you're still standing, the fact that you've got through what you got through, even when the doctors told you something you didn't want to hear. The fact that you're sitting here today and you're serving and you're singing, I raise a hallelujah. That is the divine power to sustain you. It's not about water from a rock. It's not about crossing sea. There were moments in the 40 years. The 40 years are the ones where you walked and you didn't see anything. Because I'll tell you why. Because he says to Joshua, he says, when I transfer this over to you, he says, actually, know this, he's before you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Because I've come to experience something. It's not about my staff. It's the fact he's always with me. Hallelujah. Moses' 40 years were based on the ability to relate to God, not demonstrate God. His ability to relate to him. And that's what your invitation is from Peter today. The knowledge of him. And finally, as I come to wrap this up, we've been given God's promises for our holiness. What do I mean by that? I'll tell you what I mean. Most people talk about God's promises and say there's a future promise. There is. There are promises over your life. There's a promise of a destiny. There's a promise of an eternal life with him. There's a promise that he's coming back soon to collect you. If you trust in him and you put all your faith in him. There are promises riddled through the whole Bible for you. Yes. But this is the thing. The promises are not for something to wait for. That's for something to live for now. That you should change the way you live determined by what is to come. If I told you you're going on holiday in three months time but you got to prepare. you got to have the injections. You go and prepare for the destination where you're going. And let me tell you children of God. You're going to the kingdom of God. You're going into a place where God. You're going to live with Jesus. And you're going to be with him forever. And there's a purpose and a plan. But you better get your injections right. You better change the things in your life. You better pack your bags ready. And you better walk like you know where you're going. But people don't like to talk about holiness. No, I'm saved. I'm just covered by grace. Super, super, super grace. I can do what I want. I can live how I want because he's coming back soon. No, you better get this right, church. You've got to understand the word of God does not teach that. It teaches holiness. It teaches that we should live. When we know the promises of God, it changes the way we live. Because you know where you're going. Now, if there's stuff in your life right now that you know you need to get rid of, I'm telling you this because you've got to get rid of it, not to make you perfect before God, but because you want to do it. 
And if you don't want to do it, then there's a bit of a problem going on. You better ask yourself, where is your faith at? If your desire is not for righteousness. I got a friend when I grew up. He used to always at church. All he'd ever talk about is end times. It's always interesting. He lived a life of sin, but you talk about end times, eschatology. He'd talk about it all day. Oh, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Take us away, you know. Thinking, look at your life. It doesn't, it, nothing matches. All you're interested in is the trumpet going. When's this trumpet going to sound? When's he going to return? Listen to me. Some people get an unhealthy balance of end time stuff. They get an unhealthy balance of focusing on the promises of what's to come. You've got to start living for now. Change your world. Tell people about the one who's coming. When the, when the twin towers were about to fall, the second tower was going to crumble. Everyone in the second tower that was going to crumble knew this is what's going to happen. Because the first tower went down like that. So it's inevitable that the same thing's going to happen here. And what did the fire people do? They rescued them. When you know what is coming, you better do something about it. You better do something. God's promises are for our holiness. He says he's given us, 2 Peter 1.4, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. Listen, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Wow. These future promises are to inspire an incentive for purity today. That's what they're for. The promises are not for, oh look, this is what you get at the end of it. I'll just do what you want now. No. This gives an, it inspires us, it should do anyway, inspire you to have an incentive to live for purity. And to change your world around you. And if it's not, there's something definitely wrong. And some of you are probably saying, well, I'm not so sure about that. Well, let me tell you, in 1 John 3, 2 to 3, it says this. We know that when Christ appears, this is the promise, we shall be like him. Wow, can't wait for that. For we shall see him as he is. Verse 3. All who have this hope. So you've got a future promise. In him, what do they do? Hang around and wait for that amazing day when you get a new body and you can now live perfect. No. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So in other words... Change your life to match what's coming. You might not have the perfect body yet. You might not have everything ready yet. But change your life to what is coming. See, some of us are playing with fire right now. If I could have the team back, that would be great. Some of us are playing with fire with sin. We're lukewarm. Our hearts are divided. They're divided because we like stuff in the world as well. And you're not fit for purpose if you want to live in two separate places. The Revelation says a lot about that being lukewarm. And so I want to encourage you today. There's some of you right now. You need to come away from the fire. And you need to purify yourselves in the fire of God. Last week we had a fire alarm went off in here. I was upstairs when the fire alarm went off. It's amazing. A few people around me. None of us ran quickly out of the building. 
do you know my first thought? Where's my iPad? <laughs> I did. Where's my iPad? Think about my belong. And then I heard someone say this. I don't know who it was. They said, I heard a little voice near me said, I suppose we better leave, aren't we? <laughs> suppose we better go. Because no one ever thinks there's a fire. Oh, it's just an alarm. It's just an alarm. It's, it's a test. Yesterday I was sat in my house. An alarm went off in the house. It was the carbon monoxide detector. I ran in there. I looked at the carbon monoxide detector. It's had some digits on it. I thought, oh, oh. That's it. Carbon monoxide is in the atmosphere. How long have I got left? And I'm running around trying to clear things. It was just the batteries. Listen, last week when the fire alarm went off, some people said, suppose we better go then. Some of us don't realize the danger of the fire that we're playing with. And the Lord wants you fit and ready for his purpose. And it comes by purifying yourselves. Saying, I'm going to get into the fire of God, the all-consuming fire I'm going to give my life to him totally surrendered to purify me of all the junk. I'm going to, it's time today. Let me tell you, the bin person is coming by and he's coming to collect the trash. He's coming to take the rubbish. He's coming to take the rubbish. And you've got to stop taking it back in and saying, I'm too ashamed. I, in fact, I don't, it's not my day yet. I'm going to go back in with my bin. I'm going to hide my stuff. I'm going to keep stamping it down. Let me tell you, the more you stamp it down, the harder it will be for you to come back to the Lord. Hallelujah. 1 Peter 1, verse 15 to 16. Peter says this, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Be holy because I I'm holy. Listen, Jesus is not looking for decisions. He's looking for disciples. He's not looking for people to decide in one week and put their hand up and go, I'm a Christian, grab a Bible, grab a little thing, fill a card in, then not show up for three weeks. Oh, I'll probably pop by every now and again. You know, I put my hand up. He's not looking for that. The Lord is looking for serious people who want to follow him. When I gave my life to Jesus all those years ago, it's because I wanted to. I wasn't in it for a quick visit every now and again. Listen to me. If you don't come to church and you don't learn and you don't get integrated in and you don't develop your life and and do all the things that Peter says here, because he says, he goes on to say, make every effort to add to these things. And he goes on about adding all these things. And it's your job to do it. Because if you don't, he says, you become ineffective. You're being fruitful. It's your job. It's not mine. So if you get in your life where you feel, oh, oh, I didn't get where I wanted to get from God. It's not my fault. It's all about you. What I have developed my faith in is the things that, is, is how much am I willing to invest into my relationship with the Lord? And it's hard. But I'm telling you today, make every effort to add to your faith. Do all these things because when you do, you will find you'll be effective and influential for the kingdom of God. The purposes of God in your life will be released. 2 Timothy 2.15, and I'll finish with this. He says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Hallelujah.
Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.